Hey guys, I'm so glad you're joining us this Easter. If you have a Bible, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't own a Bible or don't have one handy, we'll throw the things on the screen here, the verses, so that you can follow along. Uh, but I simply want to unwrap this story of Easter, and I want to kind of answer three questions. What in the world is the storyline of Easter? Why is it so important? And then who is it for? Right? Uh, as I was thinking about Easter, I was thinking about that I love a good movie. Raise your hand, you love a good movie, right? What's your favorite movie? Shout it out. What is it, right? I love a good movie. Uh, some of you love romantic movies, right? Some of you science fiction, the Star Wars, all that kind of stuff. Some of you true stories, based on true stories, historical documentaries, things like that. Uh, that's me. Uh, I love a movie. I love a good movie. But I have a little, little, I don't know, idiosyncrasy, pet peeve. I don't know what you want to call it, right? I, I, I love watching a good movie. I just don't like watching it twice. I'm not real big on watching the same movie. I don't need to watch Rocky win the, 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 the boxing match twice. I, I don't need to hear Jack Nicholson say twice, uh, you can't handle the truth, right? I don't need to watch. I don't need to watch Frodo on his adventure twice. I get bored. Like, I know the plot. I know the punchline. I know it's predictable. I know what's coming. I know when to cue the music. I know how it ends. I kind of yawn my way through it. A lot of times, my family would say, I fall asleep in the middle of movies like that. I don't like to watch a movie twice, except for one movie. Like, there's one movie that I love to watch over and over again. In fact, watch it once a year. It's just kind of good for my soul, apparently. Uh, but there's a movie that I love to watch. I watch it every year, sometimes a couple times a year, but uh, at least once a year, and that is the movie, ready, hold on, it's the movie, You've Got Mail. <laughs> yeah, you ever watch it? If you've never watched it, check it out, right? It's a classic, right? It's a great movie, You've Got Mail. Um, it's about a, a little bookstore owner. Uh, she owns independent owner, little bookstore, shop around the corner, played by Meg Ryan. And into her neighborhood comes a big box bookstore. And the owner of that bookstore, played by Tom Hanks, is somebody she cannot stand him. He's taking over. He's going to put her out of business. Every time, everything that she sees going on over there, she just drives her crazy. She cannot stand the sight of him. Meanwhile, both the characters, Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, are, are, are playing around with what was then cutting-edge technology, right? Uh, they were learning to do email. I love the movie. Like, it does the whole, like, dial-up, like that. And then it's like, you've got mail. And what they're doing is, almost like a secret pen pal, they're, they're emailing someone. They don't know who they're emailing. They're messaging somebody. What they didn't know is they're messaging each other. She can hardly stand him. And he's aware of that. And they're messaging unbeknownst to each other. And what happens if you watch the movie, they end up falling in love, right? It's like, man, it's an awesome movie. You've got mail. Love it. Love it. it, it watch it once. Good for my soul. Apparently it's good for my marriage. Okay, okay, I got a confession. And hopefully my wife's not watching this. And if she is, don't you tell her I said this. She makes me watch it. She loves it. She loves, it's like her favorite movie, and she is not like me. She could watch that thing over and over again. In fact, the more we watch it, the more she seems to like it. She cries more. She laughs harder. I mean, she is into it. She's tuned in. She's zeroed in. The more we watch that movie, the more she loves it. And I, don't tell her I said this, but, but I endure it. You know why? I love my wife. I endure it. It's not my favorite thing to do, but I endure it. I watch it with her because I love her. 
And it's the least I could do for all the football that I put her through in the fall, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can watch You've Got Mail. You're saying, why are you talking about that? Well, that's the way some of y'all feel about Easter. Honestly. Like some of y'all, that you're just like me when it comes to You've Got Mail. You're like, I kind of endure it, or I kind of yawn my way through it, or I kind of already can predict what, I already know the story. Some of you are like, <clears throat> I just endure the whole thing of Easter because, well, I don't know, my wife or my husband or my mom, my dad wanted me to. Like that's where you're, it's just like with me on, on You've Got Mail, right? You, you kind of already know the story, the punchline's memorized. You know the characters, and it ends the same way every time. You know when to cue the music for the, for the, for the moment. And when it comes to the Easter story, the whole idea of Easter, some of you are watching this and you believe it, but it's lost its wonder. It's kind of like, oh yeah. Others of you wonder how in the world anybody could believe it in the first place. But wherever you're at in that spectrum, Paul, you have your Bibles, open to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul wants them to watch this movie over and over and over again. And here's what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. So he's writing a letter and he says, I want you to be reminded of what I talked to you about when I was with you earlier, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By that gospel, you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain because he's saying what I'm writing to you about and what I preached to you, look at verse three, I received. He got it even earlier than that. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to Scripture, buried, was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still asleep, living. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What is Paul doing? He's simply giving us the storyline to Easter. The storyline to Easter revolves around Jesus, and you've heard about Jesus more than likely, that Jesus was an incredible person, incredible human being, incredible leader, that he lived an incredible life. He did unreal miracles. I mean, he's like turning water into wine, right? He's taking a boy's lunch and feeding thousands of people. He's walking on water. He's healing the blind. Like he, when he raised that dead guy, man, that was it. Like he did unreal miracles. And he taught powerful lessons. Some of them I would suggest were provocative. And then you know what Jesus did if you follow his story? He challenged the accepted institutions and even instincts of his day. But then Jesus, you kind of follow him around, he associated with the most unlikely group of people. But when you really, really dig in and, and, and zero in and, and watch the story of Jesus, the whole plot line, the whole purpose, the whole thing was pointing to what Paul's talking about here, that, that Jesus died. The whole thing, the bulk of even what the gospel writers write about Jesus point to this, that they grabbed Jesus out of a garden where he was praying with his disciples. About four to 700 soldiers showed up in the middle of the night. They drug him through illegal trials, brought him before the Roman powers to be. He was unbelievably tortured, mocked, and ridiculed till eventually they had him carry his cross to his own execution. They raised that cross with him nailed on it there on that hill and he died just like a bunch of other people the Romans killed that way. And then there were two guys 
One in particular who had a tomb, he was rich. His name was Joseph, and he asked for the body of Jesus, and they would have done all the things that they customarily would have done to prepare his body for burial. And he placed Jesus' body in a tomb that was known that you could go to. But then as Paul outlines this, the Jesus who died and was buried, raised again the third day, that when the women showed up, When the women showed up to the tomb, the tomb was empty. And then what Paul says is that he was seen by a whole bunch of people. I want you to know this. Paul is not passing on some folklore or some legend that got better over time, that was passed down century after century, and eventually, man, it's even better than when it started. But Paul is writing this letter about 55 A.D., He told them, I talked to you about this about 51 AD when I was with you, and I received it even before that. And he would have received it from some of the apostles, some of the people that he would have known. And some of them would have been named Peter and John, who were called into account for an act of kindness that they showed to a man who was lame and, and they said this, if we're being asked how he was healed, know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus. This is probably weeks after all the things Paul's talking about. Jesus died, buried, rose again. It's by the name of that guy whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. That what Paul is doing is he's writing in 55 AD about something he talked to them about in 51 AD that would have been passed on to him literally weeks after months after the event happened and this would have formed an early church creed that what paul is quoting here is something the church would have quoted over and over again it would have had a rhythm like a sing-songy way to it that i heard one preacher put it this way that maybe in our day it could sound like this christ died for our sins and was buried christ rose from the dead and was seen the church would have over and over again watched this movie said this creed that christ died for our sins and was buried christ rose from the dead and was seen and they would have remembered. And for some of you, you're like, ah, I knew you were going to go there, right? Like, like I dial in every year this time. I already know. Some of you yawn because you believe it, but it's lost its wonder. Some of you wonder how in the world anybody could believe that. And others of you ask the question, why does it matter? And why do you make such a big deal about it? And that seems to be what Paul wants to address. Because Paul says it matters. Paul says it matters, and he says, By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you believed in vain. Look what he says. For what I received I passed on to you. And he says it's of first importance. It's of first importance. The story of Easter is not an annual entertaining story that we can put on plays about, that we can watch movies about, but it is the, listen, the foundational event upon which Everything about Christianity is built. If Easter happened, Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and was seen, then it's game on. But if that did not happen, it's game over. Why is it important? Well, Paul outlines four things. I want to show them to you. I want you to take some notes. Why in the world is it important? Why why are you making such a big deal, Dan? Look what he says. If there is no resurrection of the dead then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, preaching's useless, your faith's useless. More than that, this is key, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. 
for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. What's Paul saying? Why does it matter? Why does the events of the death, burial, and resurrection matter? Because it means this. It means you and I can trust the rest of what they said. Paul is saying this. Just think about it. He said, if I can't trust what Paul and other of the New Testament writers wrote, what they claim is the most important thing, then I can't trust anything they said. Say it again. If I can't trust this, I can't trust anything. Because if Jesus is dead, he says, our preaching is useless, your faith is vain, and we're perpetuating a lie. Hey, here's why it's important. All kinds of people today believe this is the good book. They call it that. Even people who, who, who aren't that religious say, oh, you mean in the good book. And it becomes easy to divorce this book and the teachings of Jesus and the Bible from the event of the resurrection. And Paul's saying that's impossible. He's saying, what do you mean by that? Well, I meet people all the time. They're like, ah, the Bible is an inspirational book. It's kind of like chicken soup for my soul. And I'm kind of more of a WWJD kind of guy. I like read it. I kind of follow some of the examples of Jesus, look for some of the wisdom on how to live my life. But I don't know about the resurrection. That's kind of, that, that, is, that, that is a place too far for me to go. Yet the truth is, the guys who wrote the things that inspire you said the thing that was most important to them was that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and was seen. Now some of you are like, ah, come on, relax, Dan. Uh, it's, it's, the whole deal is God is love. I hear like, isn't that really the big deal? Where did you come to that conclusion? The only place you could come to that conclusion is a guy named John who ran to the tomb with Peter is the one who said in 1 John, God is love. And that guy is a guy who attests to, gives eyewitness to, account for the resurrection of Jesus, that he died, was buried, and rose again. You see, Paul says you can't separate them. The only way we believe anything they said is if we believe the most important thing they said. How can you and I believe anything if we can't believe the most important thing? And that is Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. To believe all the other stuff and not the resurrection means this. If you said, oh, I believe the other stuff in the Bible, I just don't believe that, means this, that you believe these guys perpetuated a lie to preserve the truth of what you believe. That seems weird. Like if you're like, well, I believe that God is love stuff, but I don't know that I believe the resurrection stuff, means that you believe John perpetuated a lie in order to preserve a truth that God is love. That's what he's saying. And you also have to believe this, that these guys, followers of Jesus, were willing to die for the lie they perpetuated. Do you know the followers of Jesus, many of them died a martyr's death? The apostle James killed by King Agrippa, Peter crucified upside down because he believed that Jesus died, was buried and raised again. Andrew, his brother, hung on an olive tree after preaching the resurrection of Jesus. Doubting Tom was run through with pine spears. Philip, after preaching the resurrection of Jesus, was tortured and crucified. Matthew professed the risen Christ right up until his martyr death. Nathaniel, unwilling to recant that he had seen the risen Christ and was flayed and then crucified in about 70 AD. The other James was asked to recant his faith and then thrown off the temple. Simon the Zealot was crucified 
on and on and on. If Jesus is not raised, here's the deal, then all that they've said in this book is not trustworthy, that I can't trust. It's either the big deal or it's no deal. Paul is saying this, if Jesus is not alive, then we are the worst kind of liars because we're lying about God. And if we're lying about God, you ought to abandon all things Christian. The second thing he says, look what he says. And if Christ has not been raised, then Christ has not been raised either. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Underline this, and you're still in your sins. Here's what he's saying. It means I can know my sin is paid for. Now, here's the deal. I'm going to make an assumption that you believe there's a God. If you don't believe there's a God, then, then, then here's the deal. What is sin? What's moral? What's good? What's right? What's wrong? Who gets to decide? We talked about that a few weeks ago. You can dial into that in one of our sermons on this link. But if there is a God, then he is good. And the, he's the one who determines what is good and pure and holy and righteous. And you and I know something intuitively and experientially about ourselves that we are not completely good, that we are sinners, that we are guilty of doing things that are wrong, and we all believe something about our sin. Some of us believe, well, God will forgive my sin. He'll just forgive my sin. And the question is, why? And I have people say to me, I don't know. I just believe God will forgive my sin eventually, kind of like Grandpa did. And that shapes our reality. Others of us believe that God will overlook our sin. And the question is, why do you believe that? Well, I don't know exactly. I just believe that he will. And that belief begins to shape our reality. Some of us believe that God will evaluate our sin and we hope our good outweighs our bad. The problem is we're not sure how good is good enough. And then others will say, I believe God could never forgive my sin. And some of you are in that boat because I've gone too far. You see, here's the deal. There is not another area of your life where you live like this, where what you believe is not what shapes reality. Reality actually shapes what you believe. And Paul is saying, because Jesus is alive, I can know my sins paid for. I don't know about you, but my wife and I enjoy getting these little things. We, you know, we get them birthdays and things like that. He'll get us gift cards to different restaurants and maybe to different stores and so we use them, and uh, I don't know about you, we don't keep track of how much, and so you go and, and you use it, and there's a little bit left on there, and so you, you use it again a couple months later, but you can't remember how much is left on there, and so you hope you didn't spend more than is left on there. It's like, it's kind of freaks you out for a little bit, right? Uh, I can remember my oldest boy, Joel, he was uh, probably just ninth grade or so. We just moved to this town, and uh, his uncle had sent him a subway card. And so we, he was going to hop on his bike, ride the subway with his new friend. And he wanted to treat his new friend to some subway. His uncle had sent this card, I think 25, 30 bucks on it. And so he went with his new card. He told his friend, just order whatever you want, man. I got 30 bucks on this thing, like, and I'll pay for it. I got it. His friend was like, wow, that's kind of cool. I really like hanging out with you. And so they ordered, man, I don't know, footlongs and drinks and chips and whatever and whatnot. And he got to the end. He got to the end, handed the card to the lady. And the lady looked at him and said, I'm sorry, son, but there's absolutely nothing on that. <laughs> I can remember getting the phone call. I can remember getting the phone call. Hey, can you bail me out? I got no money. We got a lot of food. We got to pay for it, right? And I said, well, where are you? He said, I'm at the checkout, man. And she's looking at me and she's like, either you're paying for it or 
You see, here's the deal. Here's what Paul's saying. All of us are going through life incurring debt. That's our sin. And the debt of our sin, eventually, we end up at the great checkout. The great checkout moment comes for all of us. And the moment we check out, we get to present a card, trusting that there is payment for our sin, all the debt that we've incurred on that card. And some of us are counting on the fact that I'm gonna give my morality to God. I'm carrying the card of morality, yet the problem is I don't know how much is good enough to make up for all the wrong things I've done. Others of us, we, 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 we're like, well, I'm gonna give the card. I'm religious, I went to church all my life. I bought the bumper sticker, I got the t-shirt. Others of us were just hoping that, that somehow we'll present like God's gonna give me a free pass, kinda like, yeah, you know, I, I'm gonna get off the hook. Paul is saying this, that Jesus gave you the only card that will work. It's the only card that has payment on it. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God swiping the card and saying, paid in full. When you get ready to check out this life, the bill is reckoned, the resurrection says, the card has the full payment on it. The gospel says that we owe a debt that we can't pay. You and I owe a debt we can't pay. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. The fact that he rose is proof that payment is good. There's something on the card. Now Paul goes on and he says this, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. And if Christ has not been raised, then those who fall asleep in Christ are lost. I'm, it's interesting, I've been a pastor almost 28 years and I, I'm, Funerals are interesting to me because everybody, almost everybody, demonstrates they're a person of faith at a funeral. Like it's interesting. I've done, I've done hundreds of funerals, and it's interesting to me when somebody close to you dies, everybody wants to say what they think is going on. They're in a better place now. They're watching over me. I, they're not going to leave me. Everybody has this faith belief. Most people talk like a person of faith at these times. They think the person's in a better place. They think the person is watching over them. You ever lose somebody you love? Somebody close to you? Anybody? Maybe it's been recent and I'm so sorry. Uh, my mom and dad both are gone, right? And uh, I had the privilege of being with them when they passed, and, but they're both gone. They're, they're, they're both dead. And what Paul is saying is this, is that because of the resurrection, because of Easter, it means I know where my mom and dad are. If Easter is not real, then Paul says all those who've died with their faith in Christ are lost. Literally, everybody who dies is lost. We don't know where they're at. Where they're at. Everyone who dies is lost. It changes what you believe about those who've already died. That's what he's saying. All that stuff, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, all that stuff they say at the funeral is not true. Well, they're, you know, that's what he's saying. But because of Easter, because Jesus died, buried, rose again, and appeared, because of Easter, I can know where my dad is. I can know where my mom is. They are not lost. And all those who put their faith in Jesus as the one who conquered the grave can believe with assurance that they'll be victorious over the grave. That's what he's saying. Then he says this. 
he says, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are being most pitied. How you live now is what he's saying is directly affected by what you believe will happen then. And what you believe about then is directly connected to what you believe about Jesus died, buried, rose again. And you believe something about that. Which leads him to end this thing, but thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here's what Paul's saying, and I want you to get this. Because Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and appeared. Because Jesus died for our sins and was buried, and Jesus rose again and was seen. It means you can trust the rest of what they said here. It means that you can know that your sin is paid for. The card has payment on it. It means you can know where people that you've lost who've connected their life to Christ are because of his victory over the grave. And it means that my life right now matters. That's what he's saying. It changes how you live your life right now. And I can live with purpose and meaning. As you know, I've shared this before online and live that there are three ways you can live your life. You can waste it, eat, drink for tomorrow we die. You can spend it. Spend it getting ahead, making a name for yourself, becoming famous, wealthy, whatever. You can spend it. And a lot of people are disappointed because they've wasted their life. A lot of people are disappointed because they keep spending their life looking for it. But there's a third way you can invest it in what will last it. And what you believe about Jesus died, buried, rose again means this. Your life right now matters. Can I ask you a question? What are you living for? What drives you? What drives what you're doing, how you do it, the priorities, what gets you out of bed, what sparks your passion in your soul? Because Easter is the weekend that changes everything. And it could be the weekend that changes everything in your life. Which leads to this. And then who's it for? And I think we see who it's for and who he appeared to. It's a good thing that the Easter story is about Jesus, right? It's a good thing it's not about me. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but, but Jesus died for our sins and was buried. Jesus rose again and was seen. And then Paul outlines who he was seen by. And I'm fascinated by it because I can tell you this. If I was killed the way Jesus was, if I was treated the way Jesus was, and I was buried and I came back to life, I'm not sure I'd appear to the same people he did. <laughs> I'm just being honest, right? Like I might have showed up in Pilate's bedroom and said, Hello. <laughs> I might have showed up to the guy who spit on me during the, like, hey, back, <laughs> right? Like, it's a good thing it's Jesus. But what he does is he outlines for us who Jesus appeared to. And I think it tells us who Easter's for. He says this, after that he then appeared to Cephas. Do you know who that is? That's Peter. That's his Aramaic name. You know Peter, right? You ever heard of Peter? Yeah, the one who turned his back, the one who denied that he even knew Jesus. Who's the story of Easter for? It's for all the Peters watching this today. Some of you know exactly what I mean. Like you've turned your back on God. You've turned your back on Jesus. You've walked away from the faith. You're somebody who denied. And, and this story's for you because Jesus showed up to Peter. He didn't just show up to Peter, but he showed up to the 12. 
12 who? The 12 disciples. You know those guys. Those guys who were so afraid they ran. The going got tough and they got going. And it tells me who Easter is for. It's for some of you watching this right now. You've abandoned ship. You've abandoned your faith. You know why? Because the, the going got tough. And, and this Easter, Jesus is showing up. Died, buried, rose again, appeared. Uh, in the 12 was a guy named Thomas. You remember him doubting? What? Thomas, you've heard of him. And Jesus showed up to the 12, one of which was doubting Thomas. It tells me who Easter's for. It's for all of you out there who are doubting, who are wondering, who have questions. Uh, he doesn't just say that, but it says after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are living. You can go check out their story, he says, but some have fallen asleep. They've already passed from this life to the next. He's like, some of them are dead, but some of them you can talk to, they're still alive. And let me tell you, let them tell you about the moment they saw Jesus. You wonder who some of those people were? Just let your imagination, I wonder. Maybe it's people like, go talk to Mary Magdalene. She was marginalized, she was somebody who lived on the fringes. She lived a tormented life, seven demons. He appeared to people like that. And it tells me who Easter's for. For some of you that are marginalized, that you lived a tormented life, and the story of Easter's for you. Uh, maybe in that 500 is uh, included those disciples that Jesus showed up on the road to Emmaus, and they were disappointed. They were disheartened. They were frustrated. They were even a little fearful. Jesus showed up. And it tells me who Easter's for. It's for those of you who are disappointed, those of you who are disenfranchised, those of you who are wondering, those of you who are fearful and frustrated. I like to let my imagination go out. I don't know who all those people is. Maybe, maybe some of those people are Zacchaeus or the, the woman in John 8, or maybe it's the John 4 woman, uh, those people who had a reputation and Jesus changed their life. And some of you are like, maybe that's me. But then he says, then he appeared to James. You see that? Then to all the apostles. Do you know who James is? His brother. If you think it's hard to convince people you're the Messiah, try convincing the guy you shared a room with growing up. <laughs> and, and, and the Bible is very clear. It, it, I think it's part of the veracity of the Bible is that James was skeptical of his brother. And then he became a believer. And Jesus showed up. And it tells me who Easter's for. It's for those of you who are skeptical. See, some of you believe and you've lost your wonder, but there's some of you who wonder how in the world you believe. And James would have been in that boat and this Easter, Jesus is showing up, the story of Easter, the movie's being replayed and Jesus wants you to hear me say this. He wants you to hear this from Paul that the story of Easter's for you. And then it says this, last of all, he appeared to me, Paul also, as the one abnormally born. Paul, the one writing the letter, is the one who tried to eliminate Jesus' message and his followers once and for all. He was the violent opposer of everything Christian. He didn't want anything to do with it. He tells me who Easter's for. For some of you, you simply endured the last half hour because somebody wanted you to do it with them. But you are somebody who is opposed to, you're trying to eliminate Jesus in your life. And I want you to hear me say this, that the story of Easter is for you. You see, this moment might be your but God moment. 
And today might be the day your life changes forever because of the day that changed everything forever. Can I ask you a question? What card are you carrying? What card are you carrying? Because the story of Easter is for you. Jesus died, was buried, rose again, and appeared. Jesus died for our sins and was buried. Jesus rose again and was seen. And that story's for you. In fact, could I invite you right now to pray with me? Some of you have never said yes to Jesus. Would you just bow your head right where you're at? And would you pray with me? Because maybe you're like, I want to have this relationship with Jesus. I want to know my sins are paid for. I want to have a hope that's forever. I want to live my life in a way that's going to outlast my life. Right there, wherever you're at, would you just pray this, God, I believe you love me. But I believe I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus came and died for my sin in my place. And today, right here at this moment, I'm saying yes to Jesus as my Savior. Yes to Jesus as my Lord. That I believe he died, was buried, and rose again. And I believe that message is for me. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you prayed that prayer, I'd love to hear from you somehow. This might be the day, the moment that changes everything in your life because of what Paul taught us was the day that changed everything.
Finished upon that cross. 